Yes, I'm going to have a total makeover. New backwash, infrared dryer, swivel chairs with casters so I can whiz around the place. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about splashing the cash. Oh, yes. Well, I'm going to be like the wonderful Viv Nicholson. Spend, spend, spend. Viv who? Oh. She won on the polls big in the 60s. And I met her once at the Cavendish Club in Sheffield. <laughs> she had a peroxide bouffant up here. Oh. <laughs> all the single ladies, 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 all the single ladies. Hello and welcome to episode 217 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast that hopes it hasn't spotted the connection between PC Tinker commandeering number one's bathroom and Kirk having to attack the knicker factory's Cassie with an industrial plunger. I'm Gavin. And I'm a bad wife. Yep. <laughs> oh, e- end of podcast. End of podcast. End of all podcasts. End of all podcasts. Yes. I got so into watching Sandman today that I flaked off of watching Corey, and now it's very late. It, it, it only takes six hours from me hitting record to me being done. So Yes, I'm terrible. I'm the worst. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should start editing this shit once in a while. <laughs> you should probably teach me. Yeah, you keep on saying that. <laughs> and then show no interest in actual learning. <laughs> no, I am But that's fine. That's am, fine. We all have our own niches, right? I am I'm genuinely interested. It's just finding the time uh-huh. that we're both available. Mm-hmm. Yes. Maybe the time that's spent watching Sandman could be put to be honest. <gasps> I'm only saying. I'm only saying. <laughs> How are you otherwise? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm excited. We get your birthday weekend this weekend. Maybe I'll have a bit later than we'd planned, but <laughs> sure. And do you have a gorgeous new tat? I do. Which is just gorgeous, and I love it so much. Oh, thank you. Yes. A little birthday present to myself. Yes. By getting my arm permanently disfigured. Right. In a gorgeous way, though. Yeah, with a... The the detail is just stunning. I mean, the description of it, I don't think does it justice. Right. Because it's a crow sitting on a ball of wool. Or a ball of yarn. A ball of yarn with it wrapped around the crow. Mm -hmm. Is it a crow or a raven? It's a crow. If you are familiar with the band Death Cab for Cutie... Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you should be. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar with their album Transatlanticism, yes, it's the cover of that. Yes, that is now living on my arm. Yes, and it's special because it's part of the story of us. Yep. Yes. There we go. There we go. So I think that is me done with tattoos now. I don't think so. You still have a leg with nothing on it. I, I, well, yeah, I have a, a leg with nothing on it and a back with nothing on it, but. I don't see the point of getting tattoos on your back when you can't see them. Mm. I have a tattoo on my back. Yeah, and you forget you have one. it because it's on your back and you never right. see it. So what's the point? Yeah. You're paying that money for a bit of art. Right. It's, it's kind of nice to see it every now and again. Yeah, I see it in the mirror It's like how I feel about my tea on my leg because <laughs> I, I very rarely think to look at that. Right. But that's not really art. Although no. if it is, it's modern art <laughs> with a capital T. With a big old red capital T. Yep. For tenants, not for Texas. <laughs> yeah, if you're familiar with the lager tenants, <laughs> and if you're not, 
It's fine. Keep, keep it that way. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, I get a tattoo for a beer company on my leg, and then I quit drinking. But that's fine. It's fine. That's fine. It's fine. It's still, it's still a memory of home. And all the drinking that I used to do. Yes, and of that one trip to Canada where we actually found some tenants. Mm-hmm. We found it in Maine as well. Yeah, on your birthday in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to Canada this year. Where mm. are we going? No, we're going. We're going up north not all the way up north we're not going to the up we're going to mackinac city um there is a uh, we're staying at a nice hotel right on the lake which is lovely and we're going to a uh an international night park in in the upper parts of the lower peninsula of michigan where it gets completely dark so you can see the stars in the Milky Way because that's something we didn't get a chance to do when we were out west. So if you're in Mackinac City, prepare for clouds tomorrow night. You keep saying that. It's going to be cloudy, isn't it? (laughs) Have you checked the weather? I have not. Should we maybe do that before we go? No, because it'll still be a nice trip. What are we going to do if it's cloudy? Go see a movie. We're (laughs) going to do that anyway before we go to the park. Oh, okay. Yeah. And have a nice dinner. Excellent. Good stuff. Good, good stuff. How how was the rest of your birthday week? Yeah, it was fine. I took a few days of work, but it was kind of just relaxing. You got slippers that don't fit and, and t-shirts that don't fit. It was the don't <laughs> fit kind of birthday. Yeah, shirts that you thought were going to be too big but turned out to be too small. Yeah, they're they're, they're mislabeled. They're so, very much mislabeled. So they're mislabeled one or two sizes too big. Right. And they're actually a size too small. Right. And the So slip- there's one. Yeah. Happy what birthday is, to me. Happy anyway, birthday to you. Anyway. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that ill-fitting Cory News. <laughs> Sally Carmen and Joe Dateen finally tied the knot four weeks ago. But said I do again oh, on okay. Sunday. Let, let me finish. Yeah, you're lucky I was taking a drink there, otherwise I'd been mocking you, <laughs> I think. In front, Ed Morph will you if you did. Mm-hmm. On Sunday, in front of friends and co-stars who weren't able to attend the first one. As someone who also found a guy so nice, I married him twice. I approve. No, very nice. Yes. That's a nice little touch, though. Yes. It's a party more than a... Or did they have a ceremony? I believe they had a ceremony the second time around oh, as well. Good. Yeah. Congratulations again to them. Yes. We did that as well. And not even because of COVID. No, because people were coming over from Scotland for right for what they thought was the first time. Right. It's a it's a complicated story. It is a complicated story, as most are. Dougie Brown, who played Ted Spear, poor dead Ted, has sadly passed away at the age of eighty two. So now he's really, truly dead. Did you see the, the, the tributes pouring in? Absolutely, yes. His former co-stars have said lots of lovely things about him, from Corey to Doc Martin, and every show and movie and thing he did in between. So yes, absolutely lovely. It's lovely to see these things where, you know, there's a huge outpouring and it, you, it makes you realize just how lovely that person is and you hope that people told that person how lovely they were before they died yeah he was he was quite a big name in 70s 80s comedy yes 
in the UK. The, the, I think the Parrot Joker is maybe his most famous that's on on YouTube. I haven't actually watched it, so I'm not going to recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, comedy yeah. from that era is always a little... <laughs> You can never be you can never be one hundred percent sure no, until you've no, seen you, it. No, no, you you really can't. Right, you really can't. But yeah, that's sad news, but oh, and kind of sad as well. It's only like less than a year since he was playing Ted Spears, killed right. by by Faye. And finally, Jude Bearden has a new best friend as fellow St Helens resident Jamie Leahy competes in Britain's Got Talent with his puppet chicken Chuck. It's so nice to see him hanging out with mates his own age and their chickens. Yeah, so that was that was a few weeks ago, the Britain's Got Talent thing, but I, I saw the, the photograph of the two of them together. Yeah. So yeah. cute. Yeah. With Chuck the chicken. Yeah. It's a chicken. So it is a chicken. It's, okay. it's definitely a chicken. So it's okay. It's definitely all right. It's not like a ventriloquist dummy or That's something. That's essentially what it is, though. Right, yeah, but it's it's something that can't be interpreted in an unseemly way as anthropomorphic puppets can sometimes be. Chickens are all right. Yeah. All the talent in St. Helens, and they play rugby as well, so, yeah. you know, it's all going on in St. Helens. Yes, anything with the word Helen in it is A-OK in my book. Right. And that's Cornish. That is Corey News. That is Corey News. Late breaking. And then uh, moving on to well, podcast for coffee. If it wasn't nine thirty at night, and if it was Saturday morning, and it's neither of those things, mm. we'd be drinking our own coffee this week. Yes. That's fine. That is fine. It's, fine. it's your birthday, it's but never mind. Fine. It's absolutely fine. Never mind. We didn't publicise it was my birthday, though. I mean, I barely expect you to remember my birthday. <laughs> I always get it mixed up. I know. I always think it's a day ahead of time. I don't know why. Your, your mother sent me a text wishing me a happy birthday two days before <laughs> and then said, it's on Wednesday, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, so why are, you, why are you telling me on Monday? So she doesn't forget. And that's excusable at her age. My age, not so much. Right. Yeah. I never thought of doing that, wishing people <laughs> happy birthday ahead of time, just right. in case I forget to do it. On the day. On the day. Yeah. Covering all our bases. Oh, well. We just have to remember her birthday at the end of the month. Americans, eh? Well, mm. I could maybe just wish her a happy birthday now. <laughs> anyway, if you want to buy us next week's coffee... You can do so by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street, and we will be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yes, we will. If you think that this podcast is worth any more than the time it takes to listen to it. And now this. Oh, what? Welcome, welcome. And welcome to the last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about no Hillary Clinton. Now, I seem to recall this really pissing me off last year, but I can't remember what it was about. That's right. This was Tim criticising Sally's approach to her campaign in the council elections. She was being a little bit too... Uh, too affirmative of herself? No. 
she was a bit too you guys are deplorables and you know how that kind of backfired he said that that backfired on Hillary, Hillary Clinton and Sally I'm sorry to say you ain't no Hillary Clinton Oofed. I was Gavin and you were looking for monogrammed napkins in the basement I remember that I did eventually find them you did? yeah Well, after I cancelled the order but then once I found them I messaged the person and they bought them afterward, after all so a year later dear listener you finally get closure on that story about the yeah. missing monogrammed napkins I just, in our basement I was so pissed off just last weekend I found this hamburger press that I looked for like oh, over a week for and cancelled the order I was so mad so mad what's this telling you I need a better form of organization there we go I continued my pretentious weekend into the week by reading Kitchen Confidential and wearing a white DKNY shirt with flip flops and camouflage shorts I plan to wear some of that. At least part of that. Yes, I washed tomorrow. your camouflage shorts just for the occasion. I'm currently wearing them. Ooh. We didn't buy a block of cheese shaped like Ohio. We didn't. Quarry Monopoly continues this week as Debbie battles the combined wits of Nick and Leanne and both sides vie for the better deal in the bistro partnership. Daisy Sykes continues to focus on Daniel, but everyone in the street with an opinion does her best to scupper her plans. Brian helps Abby discover what Seb's death meant has meant for her as she puts pen to paper in her victim impact statement. We haven't seen Brian recently. I kept on thinking that he'd left and it's he's yeah, not that as he'd Kathy. Left with Kathy. Right. Sally is in full campaign mode as she wages war against local parking regulations, all in an attempt to get out of a ticket. So that's a year ago that the, the street had the parking problems. Yeah. They kind of forgot about that, didn't they? Yeah, it just kind of fizzled just, out. Just like they forgot about uh, Todd and Paul and Billy all falling out with each other. Oh well. An overworked Imran loses his temper when Leanne questions Kelly's innocence. The Baileys notice that lots of people are living in their house. Tyrone buckles under pressure and admits to the police that it was Hope, not Fizz, who set the fire in the salon flat. I remember that. Jenny has a spare poached egg. Ryan's arms have not gone unnoticed. And Fish Guy has got the deal of the century. Ah, oh, Fish Guy. Fish Guy. Where we are never the, knew ye. Where are the Fish Guys of yesteryear? Literally yesteryear. Literally. Our moment of the week was Brian reading Abby's victim statement, so it wasn't Fish Guy? Fish Guy wasn't our moment of the week? No. And our boring moment of the week was James and Grace arguing about the bathroom, and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time last year, shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this week is Mano-Menopause. Ugh. Do you know what? I'm getting uh, quite a good recycle rate out of the storyline titles this week yes. which is good yes because it's deja vu all over again isn't it's it? deja vu all over again yep on monday craig is enjoying saying quinoa quinoa Faye is you, not you like saying couscous couscous yeah you have to say after it <laughs> i don't know why Faye is not impressed with him attempting to control her diet and storms off to work although they agree to meet for lunch oddly he tells her not to let carla boss her around Letting people bosh around is a symptom of the menopause. Right, yeah. Even if they're your boss. So we had. Or meant to boss you around because they're your boss. But we had no real clue, I don't think, up until this point that Carla was being a bit bossy. And I don't think she has been. No, but. It just seems like. It just seems like Craig has misinterpreted things and just sees 
Faye being flustered and stuff because of the conversation he has with Carla later, you know, and saying things that are demonstrably not true about Faye. See, I think this, he said Carla's been bossy. Everyone's going, really? Is Carla bossy? And then we see bits of Carla being a little bit bossy throughout the week. I think this is planting seeds for Carla becoming super bossy. She's the boss. It's her job to be bossy. Yeah, but there's but there's bosses who aren't bossy. No, those are called men. And there's because when men are oh, bossy, see, they're I, not called bossy, are they? I see what you're doing. Hmm. I think we we can look forward to a Carla being bossy storyline coming up. That's all I'm saying. Just just throwing out a prediction. And that can just fuck right off. <laughs> and then there's rules. Carla's doing the cake run. Oh, typical fucking bossy boss. Right, doing when the she's cake run. approached by an off-duty Craig who asks her to go easy on Faye about the new sales targets. And while I'm at it, it says, don't let her eat any of those cakes. Confused, Carla goes off leaving Craig to take a seat and read his book, How to Be an Even Bigger Asshole. <laughs> and he says something to her. By Ken Barlow. <laughs> he says something to her like, you know, Faye's not so sunny and smiling anymore and Carla rightly says was she ever? Because she's not. Yeah she's not as as bubbly at at home. Yes. Bubbly? Because when I think of Faye I think bubbly. Hmm. Dump him. (laughs) I shall be shouting that repeatedly. That was the tweet. That was the tweet on Monday. It was the tweet. For the love of God. it's true. Dump his ass. Back home, Faye tears a strip off an unapologetic Craig who says he was just trying to help and look out for her and then he tells her to take a seat because he's ordered her lunch for her. She goes rage at this and he screams that he doesn't know what he's done to upset her. She explains that she doesn't need looked after by a nutter who had to keep switching the lights on and off or Beth would die. Right, yeah. Thank you, Faye, for reminding everyone that Craig has OCD. That was a lot below the belt. No. It was. No, because he's so freaking annoying. Mocking his OCD. Well, no, she's just... That went away overnight. Right. She's just pointing out that uh, he's got his own shit to deal with. He doesn't need to be micromanaging her shit. Yeah. Back at the factory now when Faye moans, but then she moans specifically to Sally, saying Craig depresses the hell out of her and the audience. Sally promises to set Tim on him for her. Home again now, Faye announces that she's eaten whatever the fuck she wants so he can keep his big fat mouth shut. Yes. He realises he's been in the wrong and has got her a present to help her sleep better. It's a horrible nightie that controls odour or something? Odour and and heat and... And so obviously she takes offence at this. Are you saying I'm smelly? Because you said that I had a hairy lip the other week. And, right. right, yeah. Faye is furious again and goes to hide in a closet, screaming at him to leave her alone. Yes, please leave her alone. Just Se- go away and let her dump you. Several hours later, Faye comes out of the closet. Craig murmurs that hiding in the closet is a symptom of the menopause. <laughs> he offers to move back in with Beth for a bit. Do whatever the fuck you like, she says. You know best. And so Craig packs a bag. And it finally does the right thing. <laughs> she bad. was. She doesn't even have the energy to dump him, though. She's like, you do you, and I'll, I'll do, do me. me. And if you right. leave, you leave. And if you don't, you don't. It's just the opposite of love being I th- apathy. I think the thing that irritates me so much is how many women in that factory have said to her, oh, well, he's just doing his best. He's just trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. People do that, though. 
fuck that. He's it's it, yes, he is trying just trying to be nice, but he's also micromanaging and trying to control her. And if you don't nip that sort of stuff in the bud right away, he's going to continue to do stuff like that. Yes. And you can't just let it go and smile and be nice. You know, we've we've uh, how many waves of feminism do we have to go through before we stop being nice, stupid men? Quinoa. <laughs> On Wednesday. Couscous. On Wednesday, PC Tinker and his colleague PC Jess are turning onto the street in their lovely big police car. PC Tinker more concerned about a passing fae than setting up their community outreach thing at Victoria Gardens. She ignores him when he calls out to her, and he calls out to her twice. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a Fay! Fay! That just reminded me of Alan Partridge when he shouts Dan 14 times in the car park. <laughs> in the factory, there's no one who shouldn't be there when Carla encourages Nicker people to get working so they can complete this important order and stuff. Beth is arsed to Faye, who hasn't asked how Craig is doing, who is doing terribly, thank you very much. Good. Faye has had enough of him banging on about her ovaries. At the outreach thing, Evelyn makes PC Tinker look like an arsehole for a few minutes. And then Tinker and his colleague, PC Jess, have a toy fight in the middle of the street for some cream cakes, which Faye sees. And she doesn't need to be told twice that Craig is eating stuff, eating all the stuff that he's banned her from. Of course. Evelyn's, uh, they had little piggy bank things that they had to put in coins that if you feel safe, put in a green coin. Right. And if you feel that this is not a safe area, put in a red coin, and, and even like just loaded like it up with red, with red coins. coins. It was great. Right. And then, you know, Craig is so proud of this pen that you write your initials on your stuff with, and then only a black light will show. Mm. <laughs> and Evelyn's like... Yeah, this is... This is shit. This is... Goodbye. What, 1930s technology or something? I don't know. <laughs> Back at the factory, the order has been completed ahead of schedule and to celebrate, Carla has laid on some Prosecco and beer so everyone can get hammered at work and then take the rest of the day off. Yeah, because she's so very bossy. What a bossy boss. Faye immediately gets wired into the vino. Two glasses at a time, no less. Right, leaving poor summer with no vino whatsoever. Later, she's getting moolered when they run out of wine. Faye suggests that they all go to the rovers and convince Sean to crack open the karaoke and Michael helps to rally the troops. Meanwhile, Beth is on the way home and bumps into Craig. He's got stuff to make a special tea for Faye and wonders if Faye will be happy to see him. Beth tells him that Faye is lost without him. Oh, my God. Which isn't strictly true. Which isn't true at all. She does say that she's drunk. Mm -hmm. And Craig's first reaction is, she's drunk at work. Right. Relax, Craig. It's not as if she uh, deliberately lied to her boss. It's not like she's a cop. It's not like she deliberately lied to her boss to get you off a murdering Ted or anything like that. Right, seriously. Other over, Kirk is singing and Sean is regretting setting up the karaoke in the first place. Now, I'm mad about this because we know he has a nice singing voice and yet they made him sing badly. What happened to the Arshall song from like a couple of years ago? Right, that was great. Well, it was in tune. Right. Well, Well. Yeah. It it's, it's, it, it's like they're doing their damnedest to make sure we never like a thing that Kirk does ever again. You can't forget that he can sing. Right. It's like the Big Bang Theory forgot that Penny couldn't sing, remember? Right, yeah. And then they, I, ne- I never forgave them for that. No. As, what, of, 
one of the many unforgivable things about that show. Yeah, it hasn't stood the test of time very it really well. Has hasn't. It? I mean, Friends hasn't, obviously, but The Big Bang Theory even more so. There's, right. n- there's no actual jokes in it. No. It's just people saying things long-windedly. Right. And there really are no plots until they all get girlfriends. Yeah, and then all their characters change. For the better, for the most part. Mm. But then they just don't know what to do with Raj. Right, yeah. And like then for of course, like four years, I don't know what to do with Raj. And then, of course, young Sheldon comes along and totally rewrites Sheldon's backstory. Yeah, and, and does it much better, it has to be said. Anyway, where are we? Yeah, so Craig is singing and Sean is regretting setting up the karaoke. Meanwhile, Faye begins to flirt a bit with Michael, and the two of them head outside. Faye immediately goes for it, but he's like, whoa. And she's like, what, don't you fancy me? And he's like, you're pished. And she's like, oh, it's because of my menopause stuff, in it? And he's, and like, he's what? like, no, you're pished. And you're going out with Craig. And he tells her to go home and sleep it off. But now that she's morose, because she's thinking that Craig has dumped her. But when she gets home, Craig is asleep on the couch. He wakes up and announces that he was dreaming about driving a tank down Coronation Street. He's going to kill them all at some point, isn't he? I think it's going to be copperage. No, I'm so surprised because our friend Charlie Millward at the Daily Express, mm. he promised the death. <laughs> he he is a prophet of death, and he sees death in the slightest little comment. And I yes. thought he's bound to pick up on this, and he didn't. There's no Daily Express uh, article about this where they have they fired him. A, a theory. He's been writing a lot of stories about Emmerdale lately. Oh. I think he might have been taken off Coronation Street right. for all the death stuff. All the death stuff. Yeah, so he's dreaming about driving a tank down Coronation Street. She apologises for being a bitch to him. He apologises for being him. They make up in a way that couples with absolutely zero chemistry make up. On Friday, Craig and Faye are stepping out, co-playing as a couple who have chemistry and who are wearing black today. Right, yeah, she's, they're both wearing black. It's it's like they're both they're both caterers now. They're matchy matchy. It's, it's 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 weird. Weird. She sees Michael and shuts her pants wee bit, remembering the absolute redneck she gave herself the other day. At the factory, Beth tells Faye that she's relieved that she and Craig have kissed and made up. Beth and Kirk like walking about in the scuddy, which was awkward when Craig was there. <laughs> Beth warns Faye that Craig isn't all butch and tough. He's a softy inside. Oh, really? Tell us about it, Faye meets Michael and Nina's roles to apologise for last night. He's understanding and thinks that the early menopause stuff sounds like a bit of a nightmare. You have my ears whenever you need them, just not my lips, he says. Yes. So later on, Faye and Craig arrive at the Rovers, but when she sees Michael, she insists that they sit on a table in the corner near the toilets, which Craig takes as a sign that Faye is gagging for her hole. Yes, Which she is, but not with him. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm. Yes, yeah, so there's a little bit of a sharing of looks between Faye and Michael. A little bit of longing. You think that well, there might be something let's, going on. Let's not forget, Michael's whole argument initially was that she was drunk. He was being a gentleman. Yes. When she says, don't you fancy me? He doesn't say, no, I don't fancy you. Mm. He says, no, you're drunk. Mm. And you're with Craig. Again, it is probably gentlemanly not to say that you don't fancy someone. I think he does though. The way that they've been or is he just is he just feeling awkward about the conversation? Well, I don't that, know. That's There's, that's possible as well. I just quite frankly I would rather fae with anyone other than Craig. But I think I kinda think it's a pair of them. 
because as Carla says, you know, Faye's not exactly exuberant. No. Michael, Michael is, or yes. Michael was at least. Yes. That, yeah, I'm really... just glad that they remembered that Michael and James exist this week. Mm-hmm. Just happy about that. Thank you very much, Coronation Street, for reminding us that Michael and James exist. Yeah, Michael turned up in a couple of storylines. Yes. I, I, I wouldn't. I James be... actually got to speak. <laughs> yeah, that'll be him for the month. Mm. I don't think that Michael and Faye would necessarily be bad together. It could be worse. But then who Because does... Craig is worse <laughs> than anyone. Craig is worse than Faye and Seb. Faye and Seb, at least. Well, they had the fact that they looked like each other going for them. They, they made sense. Faye and Craig just... But, yeah, but they looked like even, brother and sister, though. Even the, way, even the way Craig and Faye got together just kind of seemed like the show was kind of like, I don't know, let's mash these two together and see what happens. That's pretty much what happened, I think. Yeah. I can't even remember and why it they got just together in the first place. And it just doesn't work. Like, all of a sudden, Craig said, oh, I've always been interested in Faye. And we were like, were you? Did you? Because he was, he was interested in Bethany. Right, and then and then she's like, "Yeah, all right, sure." And Faye's like and the opposite it. of Bethany. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't Bethany's biggest fan either. No, it just she had something about her, though. It just it just doesn't work, you know. And sometimes things don't work, and that's fine. And those, these are the times when you should let things go, you know, no. and put people with people that they do work well together. It's like Todd. We like Todd when he's at home with his mum and the Undertaker. We are less fond of Todd when he's with Billy and Paul. And unfortunately, summer. yeah. It just, it feels like this has run its course and there's nothing that they can do to make this work. Going back to some of the commentary that I saw last week and continuations of it this week, some thoughts that I've seen would suggest that the reason why they don't work is because the show isn't letting them be a couple they don't show affection for each other. And so if they don't show affection for each other, because all that they got this week was he kissed the top of her head. And they kind of snuggled on the couch a little bit. And he kissed the top of her and head. And he tried to micromanage her life. And I don't think that's her. intimate, though. No, but it was an attempt to make it look like he really cares about her. And it, it backfired because mm. it was bad. I you know, because... I mean, we've seen them attempt to lock lips a few times. Have we? Yeah, can you remember the first time they had sex? I don't think we got to see that, did we? It happened off camera, but we did see them sort of kiss. Did we? I don't think we did, because I think that was COVID time. I don't think we've seen them kiss. I think we have, just like minimal. But, I mean, there are... Lots of couples on the street that we never see, that we never see together. And we recognize that they have more chemistry than Craig and Faye. Nina and Asha, for example. Mm -hmm. Peter and Carla. You never see them together anymore, but they are still a couple. You know, Addie... Yeah, even even when when Peter's throwing golf clubs about and, and, uh, and Carla's there... There's still a connection right. between them. Yeah. You can, you can see it right, pretty much, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. 
Sally and Tim haven't had sex in forever. It was an actual storyline, and yet they still had chemistry together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think the mistake has been making Craig off copper. Well, he is copper on top. <laughs> you know, that may have got a chuckle two hours ago, but <laughs> at the arse end of 10 o'clock, not a chance. Boo. I. I don't know. It just, it just, it it feels like they're trying to make something here and it's just, it's just not catching. They've They've made her dull and he is not the most convincing policeman in the world. And I think the combination of those two kind of make their characters feel like they repel rather than attract. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Moving Sometimes on. things don't work, and I know. that's fine. It's that's nobody's that's fault. That's right. It's nobody's fault. But the thing is, is that you have to recognize this doesn't work and move on. And they're just not allowing that to happen. No. Which is what it is. Talking of moving on. Yes. Our next storyline is Tim's mom about the house. Woohoo! No Ryan sightings this week, though. That's sad. On Monday, Speedal Billy is dropping off Christian Rock Festival tickets for the raffle that Yasmin and Zidane are running. Yes. Yasmin and Zidane. Muslim. Christian Rock Festival tickets. Well, they're, it's <coughs> not like they're for Zidane and Yasmin. It's not like they're going to go to the Christian Rock concert. Even so, though. Right? It's just for the... It's just for the I'm sure somebody will bid on it at the little auction thingy that they're going to do later. Hmm. I'd bid on it just out of pity. I went so, to a number of those in my youth. Oof. You're so cool. I am. He leaves and Zidane talks to Yasmin about Alia being worried about her with the whole stew business. Zidane tries to broach the subject that there might be something in Homeless Stew's ramblings about the miscarriage of justice, but Yasmin is not interested. Later, Zidane speaks with Craig, who's been doing some digging, and he can confirm that D.S. Lennox, the one who hated crusts, remember? Mm-hmm. He did take early retirement, as Homeless Stew suggested, and the word in the street is that he was forced into it after an illicit affair. Uh-oh. So I think I was right. We're not, yeah, because they're not saying who the affair was with. Mm-hmm. I think I was right on this. So Zidane jumps onto Vogel <clears throat> and is doing a search on Lennox until he hears Yasmin and Billy and they come out the kitchen of wherever laughing at his new stand-up routine, and this kills Zidane's stalking mood, and he closes the laptop. Back home, Homeless Stew has sent uh, visiting orders to Yasmin, Alia, and Zidane, begging for a chance to tell his side of the story. What a prick, says Yasmin, and she tears up her visiting order and throws it in the recycling, but notably we don't see Zidane doing yeah. anything with his, and Alia's yeah. not here at the moment. No. On Wednesday at home, Yasmin is preparing for the raffle at the fundraiser. She's already raised hundreds of pounds. C has a day off and Yasmin insists that he goes and enjoys himself, but not like that. Tim's well, mum maybe like that. <laughs> Tim's mum appears with a bunch of flowers to give away at the raffle and is thrilled to see Yasmin looking positive. Later, PC Tinker is a chatty Cathy again with Zidane confirming that there was nothing suspicious about Lennox taking the early retirement, so now Zidane thinks Homeless Stew was guilty after all. PC Tinker also reveals that Homeless Stew is probably going to get out soon, which infuriates Zidane. Right, yeah, even though he's done nothing wrong in this, in this, he was just, he was just 
talking. Yeah, talking of people doing something wrong. Should Craig be having these conversations? No, no he should not. He absolutely should not. <sighs> Even the crickets agree. He never learns. No. So Zidane is at Nina's Rolls later and he chats with Roy about the fundraiser raffle and about Homeless Stew, who Roy always thought was a decent sort of egg. But he's obviously put Yasmin through hell and this puts a flea in Zidane's ear. He's going to do something about this whole getting out thing. So the fundraiser, Yasmin gives a speech to the women present and announces that they've raised over £1,000 so far and asks them to dig deep and to donate more. After the speech, a woman approaches Jasmine and explains what an inspiration she's been to her, helping her to remove herself from an abusive relationship. And then she asks Jasmine how she can learn to trust men again. And this triggers Jasmine into a bit of a panic and she swiftly retreats to the kitchen. Yes. Now, Roy comes round with cakes for the fundraiser and helps Aww. Jasmine through her panic attack, telling her to breathe in and then breathe out. Yes. Roy is very good this week. Yeah. It's she- nice to see Roy in all his glory this week. He was dropping some crumbs. Yeah. Did you see that? He was also dropping some truth bombs, both in this storyline and another storyline. Crumbs and truth bombs. She tries to call Zidane to come help, but gets his voicemail. She can't do this on her own, she cries, but Roy has taken off his anorak and is putting on a pink penny. Yes, he is. And tells her that she doesn't need to do this on her own. And then Wawa guitar starts playing in Yasmin's (laughs) head as she sees this Adonis before her. That was a look though, right? I don't think so. So what was the look about? I think she was just still kind of agitated and a little relieved. Oh, was she? But still agitated. If you're if you're if you're in that sort of agitated state about about men and never being able to trust a man again, that's not the time that you typically get horny for one of your best friends. I don't know. Sometimes it just happens, though, right? No. Am I right, guys? No. Gavin, Speaking for the ladies. Gavin, you, would you like to come up and, ex- and explain your working to the rest of the class? No, that's fine. <laughs> I'll take an F. <laughs> People did seem to like to like your your little edit on the Twitter, though. A little bit of Barry White there. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. That's the, the that was a friend's little thing when uh, Denise Richards was shaking down her hair in front of uh, Chandler and Ross. Yes. So anyway. Remember Denise Richards? Whatever happened to her? Yeah, I remember her quite intimately. Not that intimately, though. Mm, I've, seen, I've seen stills. <laughs> you've, so, you've, meanwhile... You've caused Starship Troopers at just that right time. No, she was in Playboy. Right, but also she was naked in Starship was Troopers in the, in the shower scene. Oh, well, I'm watching that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> meanwhile, Zidane has gone to see Stu in prison and tells him to stay the fuck away from his gran... Stu manages to explain about how since he's been working and how since he's got some money together, he's applied for his case files to prove his innocence. If he was guilty, why would he waste his time and money doing that? He wouldn't. And Zidane sucks a thoughtful tooth at this. This was news to him. He didn't know that you could apply for your case files. Right. Zidane goes to see Adam, who confirms that, yes, this is a thing, and promises to make some preliminary inquiries. Zidane is not looking forward to telling his gran about all this. Adam advises coin canny until he knows more. Maybe wait until you've actually seen the paperwork. Right. But Zidane yes. doesn't understand the, the colloquialism and leaves determined to tell the truth. So Adam thinks that Zidane's going to tell the truth here. Right. So Z goes back to Speed Dal and Yasmin admits to having a panic attack and then asks what Z's been up to today. And he says, oh, nah, nothing much. Just, 
Just watching Starship Troopers. <laughs> and yes, indeed. After the fundraiser, Adam, who moments earlier had advised the Dante Kokani, bumps into Yasmin on the street and tells her that he's requested to use case files just as Zidane requested. His what? says Yasmin, and Adam clutches his collar. Me and my big mouth, he seems to say. Back home, Yasmin has it out with Zidane. He announces that he thinks Stu is telling the truth and explains about the case files. Yasmin shouts that homeless Stu is a liar. Stu... A lying liar. And at this point, Stu has decided to try and call Zidane and Zidane answers, despite Yasmin's protest from not to, and tells him that Adam is going to help to get the files. He passes the phone to his gran, who promptly hangs up. Yes, yeah. Stu's like, oh, please, please let me talk to her. And Z's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, oh, please, please. And Z hands her the phone. And it's like, what are you doing, pal? Mm -hmm. Listen to your grand. If she doesn't want to talk to him, she doesn't want to talk to him. Right. What's wrong with you? Yeah, it doesn't feel like a great time to be having this conversation. But his hand has been forced by Adam. Hmm. So on Friday, Yasmin is still in the mood with Zidane about the Stu thing, but he maintains that he has questions about Stu's guilt. She isn't interested in listening and wants nothing to do with it. Then there's a knock at the door, which gives Yasmin a fright. Alia's back, and we, learn, and we learn that they've changed the locks, presumably to stop Alia coming home. <laughs> Zidane explains to Alia what's been going on for the last week about the case files and Stu's innocence. Alia doesn't really care and thinks it's too much for Yasmin. Zidane thinks Stu deserves a fair trial, just like the one he got three decades ago. So, another fair trial. Mm. Adam meets up with Zidane to conduct legal business in the community garden. There's an outstanding fee before they can get their hands on the case file and the old solicitors are looking for two grand. Uh-oh. Zidane says that he can get the money and this is overheard a little bit by Alia. Uh-oh. So later, Alia and Zidane are chatting about this and uh, Zidane asks her to go halves on the legal cost to get the files. This is about doing the right thing for Stu, making sure justice is done, just like it was done for Yasmin that time she killed Tim's dad. Right. And and Alia says, that was completely different. Mm-hmm. But she's convinced yeah. somewhat. Right. I think because he says, well, I'll pay you back. Right. One way or the other. And they, they talk a little bit about Hashim and how, you know, they need to, you know, they didn't do right by Hashim by letting him die, even though he was an awful person who was blackmailing them and extorting from them. Right. So this is this is to balance yeah, that whole, things. That whole uh, mess went away, didn't it? It did. With the fire. Right. Yeah. And Zidane's ex-wife just disappeared. Whatever happened to her? She was lovely. And her brothers-in-law. Or his brothers-in-law. Right. Her her brothers. Oh, they got to jail, didn't they? They did. We saw none of this. This was no. all hearsay, right? Yes. So, uh, something isn't adding up in this whole stew business, says Zidane. Alia is worried about getting thrown out again by Yasmin, but Zidane promises to pay her back. So Alia and Zidane go and give Adam the go-ahead. He says that he'll take a look at the files for a free meal at Speeddal, but he warns him, though, that these files can be pretty gnarly. Right. And his advice is that some things are best left to the professionals. Mm. Who does he mean by that? Well. Does he mean getting proper legal mean, representation? Or right, something? yeah, which would cost an arm and a leg. Right. So that's as far as we get with that this week. It seems, I think, and I think we knew this, that Stu's innocent. Well, yeah, of course Stu's innocent. Look and at him. I, and I think we're getting... Look at his glorious hair. And those baby blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Daniel how Craig could, eyes. How could anyone with those baby blues be responsible for anything? 
No. Apart from minor embezzlement. Right. And maybe a little bit of light. Drunk and disorderly. Mm-hmm. And cheating like, on your wife. Like common assault or something. Those baby blues, they're something else. So I'm I'm more and more convinced that this Lennox has something to do with it because there is no point of this character being a thing if he doesn't have something to right, do with it. Right, and there's no point in saying that he had an affair and he was pushed out because of this affair because typically cops aren't pushed out because of affairs unless... Well, it depends on who the affair is with. Right, yeah. Right. Unless it's a conflict of interest with their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, why would they even say that if it wasn't right. important? What about Yasmin's reaction to all this? How's that working for you? You know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I can believe that she would have that panic attack and everything. That she, you know, because that, that does that does tend to happen. You know, even years later, if something triggers you, you know, I think it's it was really nice that Roy was there and Roy was helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we see this happen to her all the time. So, I think people, or I think what I've I've seen comments on suggest that Yasmin's had a little bit of a a one eighty in terms of her character, and she's a little bit more snippy at, at Zidane for this, and she's not even that she's overreacting, and I don't think she's overreacting. I don't think she's overreacting at all. I think this is she's had a very traumatic experience. And it's amazing how well she's done after that traumatic experience, Mm -hmm. as it is. Yeah, because remember, for the longest time, Tim's mum was just employed to come in every now and again and say, it's nice to see you looking happy again, Yasmin. Yes. And and she's still saying that. Right. So that's a kind of cue that she's not quite got over everything that's going on. It takes a while. Which was a bit... And a little bit on the traumatic side. Yeah, it takes a while and there's there does tend to be some backsliding if something triggers you. Mm-hmm. It's just like with other forms of mental illness, you know, like alcoholism and stuff, there's going to be backsliding. And there's going to be backsliding. There's, there's going to be things that is just going to trigger something in your brain that has been permanently altered by the traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And these things are going to happen. I don't think it's an overreaction at all. And it's not like this happens all the time. And if she's and if she's never going to get back to the kind of happy-go-lucky Yasmin she was before Tim's dad was on the scene, that's realistic. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely realistic. Just yeah. like we're never going to get the old Shona back. No, that's never, never going to happen. Never going to happen. Yeah, if, if, if I think there is a noticeable difference in Yasmin's character, then that is in keeping with mm-hmm. Yasmin's character almost yeah. she's very quick to anger and that's just gonna have to be okay it's alright for women to be angry relax people Adam was very quick to go from this is going to cost you a fortune to give me a free curry and I'll have a look right. at him. well he said he'll have a look it's, he, he, did, he did say he's not going to like take the case and spend hours on it mm-hmm. he said he'd have a quick look through for a free meal did you notice how he kind of just call that twelve fifty on the hour, shall we? Throws, throws Imran, throws poor dead Imran under the bus a wee bit by saying, "No, no, Imran would do mates' rates and and you know favors for friends, but I'm not Imran." Right. Oh, we've noticed, Adam. Don't you worry about I'm that? I'm the evil white guy <laughs> who likes money. 
moving on then. Our next storyline is Spider Nugent into the Spider Pants on Monday. <laughs> I can see the trailer for this. Anyway, on Monday, Adam is at the bistro and can't resist having a pop at Leanne about Toya and Spider getting cosy together. Leanne reminds him of the time he got cosy with his uncle's missus. Yeah. That shut you up. Good job, Leanne. And then there's Rolves, Spider and Toya chatting when Griff, a fellow activist, shows up and Griff quickly tells her about the number of times he's been involved with the law. Spider tries to usher Griff away, but Toya (laughs) is intrigued and invites Griff to join them. Yes, and have a cuppa. And by the time that they're leaving, Griff has been talking to Toya about a protest and against Spider's wishes, who appears to be thinking that this may jeopardise her case, she decides to attend. Mm. Or maybe blow his cover with his secret family. If that's the if Is that's it? if that's what's going on. I'm not, I'm I'm not sure. After the protest, Toya has insisted that she hasn't been the one that's been super gluing herself to anything. She's nope. been the rear guard action, mm-hmm. but not like that. But maybe like that. So she goes round to the bistro to brag about her activism to Leanne. Leanne is singularly unimpressed and even Nick, who has so far been of the opinion that having a hobby is a good thing, has to agree that if she had got herself arrested while on bail, she'd have been well and truly fucked. Mm. And Leanne blames all this on Spider, who she thinks is leading Toya astray. Yeah, Toya, an adult woman who's more than capable of making her own decisions. Mm-hmm. Being led, as, led astray by and a one penis. of those one of those decisions every morning is to refresh that plum nail varnish that she has on. Ah, yeah, yeah. Toya leaves. I've and got green on now. I have one blue pinky nail. Yes, and then your toesies. Your toes, then they're looking bonny. Neon green. Yeah, when did you do that? Last night while huh? watching She-Hulk. Huh? Would you imagine? She's a She-Hulk's a lawyer. Yeah, She-Hulk. What? what? Pish is this? She-Hulk has been a lawyer since the 80s. Get with it, man. So she's just... She's always been a lawyer. Just hulking out being a lawyer? Yeah. What pish is this? It's great. <sighs> uh, what? What? Daredevil can be a lawyer? Who? And, and, and She-Hulk can't? Who? Daredevil. He's also a superhero lawyer who's blind. Remember Ben Affleck made a horrible Daredevil movie? Ben Affleck made a horrible movie? <laughs> He's made one or two. Anyway. Anyway. Toya leaves and meets up with Spider and the Rovers, spied on by Adam, who's looking... Ooh. He's looking he's very, mu- very much the baddie twirling he's, his moustache at the bar. He's a spider. Yeah, it's like... Calm down, Adam. It's not like... It's not like you and Imran were like best friends if only he was this angry at the woman who threw him from the mezzanine level of a mall seriously anyway they chat about how they got their hold the other day and spider confirms that he doesn't regret it for a moment he takes his chance though to warn her away from griff but toya thanks him for making her feel alive again oh but not like that later but maybe like that outside spider is back on that phone again having more secret conversations with someone when he bumps into leanne who rips his ear about leading toya astray she calls him a cliche he thinks she's doing toya disservice but leanne thinks this has disaster written all over it right and insults his flannel yeah calls him smelly yeah he looks a bit smelly i have to say little not too bad earthy the flannel is clean earthy is the adjective i'm going to use now 
I am going to maintain that Spider is a good guy in all this. And this is all misdirection. We're supposed to think that he has a wife and a brood of kids or something like that, but I don't think he does. I think this is going to turn out to be something that is quite explainable. Well, obviously it's going to be quite explainable because someone, presumably Spider at some point, is going to have to explain it. So it has to be explainable. Right. It's going to be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Absolutely. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, that's just activist buddies or something, isn't it? I mean, the, the uh, way that he's having this conversation, it could be he's, he's got an appointment to um, to meet up with somebody. Or do you do you think he's up to no? Well, he's not really up to no good anyway, because the conversation that they had was yes, they got their hold with each other, but it was friends with benefits of anything. Right. Yeah, I don't think he expected that to happen, and I don't think he expected. To bump into Toya, and I don't think he expected to be as invested with Toya as he currently is. Or maybe to find Toya in such need. I think he was there for some sort of activism thing and is now invested in the whole Toya thing and so is not getting home when he said he was going to get home. Hmm. He's he's found Toya very much in need of, of a friend. And so, because of the way that they've kind of approached their relationship, even if he does have a wife and a brood of kids, so he can still be there for. for yeah, uh, for they Toya. should just maybe not have sex again. Maybe, maybe they just knock knock that on the head. Yeah, we don't want to get into this conversation again this week. <laughs> Did we do this last week <laughs> extensively? You're already mad at me. She also seems to have very much the support of Leanne in this, yeah. though. So it's not as if she's entirely alone. I don't support her hair colour, though. Leanne's? Toya's. Oh, I quite like it. Yeah, because now Leanne and Toya look too much alike. Because they're both blonde now. Mm. Yeah, I like Toya with the darker hair. If you're ever in doubt, Toya's the one with the plum fingernails. Right. That's how I tell them apart. <laughs> Plus, if you shout Toya, right, yeah. that, that one turns and, around. And who am I to talk with my reddish hair with blonde streaks in it? Moving on then. Moving on. Our next story is, oh, finally, Audrey Mbop. Oh, finally. Ugh. Finally. Yeah, oh, thank God. We kind of sneaking this one in midway through. Ugh. I think this will be to the surprise of no one that if Monday and this storyline had been Monday in its entirety, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been complaining. No, me neither. All right, let's go through it then. On Monday, Stephen is at the law office for an appointment with Adam about Audrey's trust, and we don't really know the specifics of this, but whatever it is, Stephen signs the papers, and right Adam away. tells him that all he needs now is a signature from Audrey, and it's all done. Right, and and nobody needs to witness these signatures? They, they, we don't need these... Witnessed by a third party? Oh, they'll just pull somebody off the street, I would imagine. Right, but that doesn't seem to happen at all. Hmm. So anyway, Stephen fucks off with his important envelope and a pen. And he walks around to number eight explaining that he needs her to sign something, but a fabulous looking Audrey's just put her toe through Gail's tights, which isn't as dodgy as it sounds. So it has to nip upstairs to change for our special afternoon tea. This was the thing that was arranged last week. Oh, 
la la. So at the Rape Hotel, Roy, Rita and Ken are already there and waiting. This is a different Rape Hotel though, isn't it? Nope. It looks different. Nope. It looks different. Nope. It's exactly the same Because there are windows in this one. And this gives Audrey a bit of anxiety as she holds back for a moment to collect her courage before walking to meet her friends at their table. And they are all thrilled to see her. Yes, and they're all looking very fancy. Yep. Even Roy in a well, clean anorak. <laughs> the chat, though, is a little bit awkward, seeing as this is the first time they've been out together since forever. So Roy starts melting ice a little bit by talking about the fly in his trousers. <laughs> this loosens the mood, and Audrey declares that nothing can spoil the afternoon. And then she sees Claudia and Charles arrive, asking for their usual table. Charles, you'll remember, was the old codger who was scamming the residents at Shady Acres. Yes. Incidentally, we learned that this whole afternoon tea thing is 40 quid a head. Yes. For tea and sandwiches with a crust cut off? Well, and Prosecco. Rhea is pissed when everyone else seems to be more interested than Claudia and Charles, as they reckon this meant that Claudia was playing away when she was with Ken. Uh-oh. Rhea says, right. I've had enough of this. I'm going to go and spy on them. <laughs> and so the others decide that they're going to join in. And Except for Roy. And it seems that the relationship is on the rocks and Claudia keeps casting up Ken because she says to him, you're the most boring man I've ever met. And, and I was with, with Ken Barlow. Charles says that Ken is like a cross between Albert Finney and Mother Teresa. And, and Ken, who is hiding <laughs> behind a plant at this point, gives some thought and then nods in agreement. Yes, yes, he, he does not object. But as Charles goes to leave, he spots Ken and then Audrey sticks her head round the corner and, Re- and Rita, who I think has been drinking since breakfast, sticks her head <laughs> through a potted plant and says, Hello! <laughs> she was the most hidden of all of them. <laughs> Claudia ends up joining the four of them once Charles is fucked off. She confirms that she wasn't with Charles when she was with Ken. Rita remembers that they've missed Audrey's birthday so Roy sneaks away to do something about that. Rita drunk as a sailor, remembers that she once got her hole off a Ken and Ken quickly motions to the waiter for the bill and also to cut Rhea off. Claudia remembers that Roy and Evelyn were arrested for indecent behaviour in the Woody. Yes, yes, thank you Claudia. And Rita's been to a swingers party and then Audrey announces that she tried to kill herself three weeks ago. Yes. And that this, the light in the restaurant dims and a waiter arrives with Audrey's belated birthday cake, and, and he's singing birthday. happy birthday and looking around wondering why nobody's joining in. <laughs> so the gang feel ashamed and embarrassed that Audrey could have felt so low and none of them noticed. Audrey explains that a nosy neighbour was delivering a catalogue or something and noticed that she'd passed out on the floor and she was rushed to hospital. She apologises for putting everyone on a downer and then insists it's good vibes only from now on and then she nips off for a shite. Claudia takes this as her cue to fuck off, so when Audrey comes back, we're back to the four of them. Audrey has to reveal that she hasn't told Gail, and now she's on antidepressants, but when she shows off the package to prove that she's got them, Rita's quick to point out that she hasn't actually taken any. Mm. Audrey recounts a life full of love and people and friends, but all of those blessings have just made her hate herself more. They all compare ailments and feelings of self-pity, Audrey just hates feeling useless and her cataracts really were the start of her spiral. She's not sleeping and she's drinking too much and she just feels more useless. She misses not falling apart with Alfie, not Abby's Alfie. 
Yeah. Ken thinks Audrey still has so much to offer the world. Roy points out her legacy and her children and her grandchildren and her mm-hmm. great-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Rita says that they've all loved and been loved and they agreed to meet up again more often. Yes. Roy asks to consider speaking to Gail about this, but Audrey feels better speaking to friends and she promises to take her pills tonight once she's sobered up. Later, Roy, Rita and Ken have a debrief in Nina's roles. They can't tell Gail themselves, but they agree to offer support and make sure they really do meet up more often. Rita suggests creating a WhatsApp group or something, and they use testing Nina's vegan ginger cake as a ruse. Meanwhile, Audrey goes to the bistro to speak to Nick, ignoring Stephen, who's still desperate to get that fucking envelope looked at. <laughs> Seriously. Audrey has good news for Nick, and whatever it is, it generates a smile and a hug from him, while Stephen stands back and looks pissed off. Yes. So Audrey goes to her salon and takes her pills while she remembers her Alfie. There's still life in the old girl yet, she says. Yes. And that was Monday. Yes. Oof. And that was... Oof. And that's moment of the week already taken it, it, care of. Exceptionally good. Yeah. From, so good. From start to finish. This, Absolutely. I kind of wish Claudia had stuck around a little uh, bit yeah, longer. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Because she's so fabulous. But... The reason why she left made sense. Yes. It was the conversation was right. too, too heavy. And, and, yet, that, and she's not and a Aud too, should be, you know, Claudia should be the one that Audrey feels the most comfortable talking to. Well, they, they'd fallen out. They had. But she'd fallen out with Rita as well. Yeah, that was more recent. Kind of, kind of mentioned on Wednesday. Mm. But, um, yeah. I mean, we're saying this now and we've said it before and we won't be the first people to say it and we won't no. be the last people to absolutely say it but not. Coronation Street gets it absolutely right when it does things like this yes more of this less of <laughs> drugs and guns that float and kidnapping Kelly and murders 30 year old murders yeah more of this more of people just trying to live their lives because everything Audrey's going through is real life. You know, it's none of it is something kind of out of the ordinary for normal, regular mm-hmm. people. And that's who this show was made for when they first started making it. Get back to that because character driven stories about real life issues in a way that is interesting and not over the top and not summer constantly fainting over and over and over again. (laughs) You know, it's just, yeah, it was just really beautifully done. And I enjoyed the conversation there. They were all having and the reminiscing and stuff and the bringing up of picadillos of the past. Right. I, yeah. Ken's reaction to the, to being outed as being having been there with uh, Rita was hilarious as he's just like looking around for a waiter just to let's, right let's, okay we're, we're done now we're done now but I think it, um I mean it's it's been the, the older or the old crew being involved in this but this sort of thing isn't isn't an exclusive right of this age group of character there are characters no absolutely not from Tyrone, right? Right. You know, there are legacy characters that have been in the show for a, for a long Forever. time. Forever. And there are characters who are kind of new to the show, right. Evelyn, who... Kind of just who fit right e- in. easily 
have this kind of uh, storyline and conversation right. and, and have something that's, that's driven entirely yeah. um, through through relationships and right. stuff. So it's not something that has to be the, the oldest members of the, the cast, although it's lovely that, that they did it. But you've got Fizz and Tyrone and you've got Sally and Tim and you've got, you know, there are, there's a bedrock of of older characters who have this history, who the audience feel like we're growing old with and we're growing up with that, that have this connection with the audience that they can, can pull this sort of thing off. So there's no reason why this has to be a one-off or this has to be something that that's exceptional and remarked upon. I've never seen Coronation Street Twitter so positive about the show as it was Right. That night. Absolutely. And for it, good reason. And it was positive exclusively. It was unanimous praise for it. Yeah. It I think because it's so unusual, it, it has that even even bigger impact. Absolutely. So, I don't know. It, it, it was nice. It, the way that they handled Audrey announcing her announcement. Right. Because as well. Could have been done so mawkishly or or, right. or badly but the way that she had the kind of an Aiden-esque look on her face right. and she's kind of there but she's not really there right and then she realizes that she has to say something that this is right this is going to save her right by saying something right and when she just said it and it right. came out it was like oh it's just perfectly done right and it was still a little funny could you have the cake could right? you have the cake and the happy birthday to you but they didn't linger on that, you know? They moved on from that. It was like you had a little bit of chuckle to break the mood, to break the ice a little bit. And then we go on to a serious conversation. And it was lovely. And yep. all of her friends were supportive. I have seen some people say, and I kind of feel this way too, that it's surprising that none of the others mentioned their issues with mental health right. before. You know, because that's just kind of the way that my brain works is that you tell me this and I can relate to you by telling you my story. Yeah, but this was Audrey's story to tell. But it was Audrey's story to tell, right. Right. So we can forgive them that. Right. Yeah, it was just beautifully done. And the way that it finished with the kind of, you know, there's a little bit of uh, gilding the lily with uh, Alf's voice in the background. But even that didn't didn't jolt as much as, no. as the, the fancy things have jolted in the past and that little moment when she's in the, the salon again taking her pills all yeah. by herself and and saying that there's that she has more to give right it's just a great there's way to more finish life it. in her yeah, brilliant, yeah it was great brilliant stuff good stuff on wednesday at number eight a whole bunch of boxes for audrey have been delivered she announces that she's decided to open the salon after all and she asks max to help move the boxes over so at the salon stevens arrived to help out with a chamois leather Audrey explains that she plans to spend a bit of cash upgrading the place. Shona approves, but Stephen looks a bit cagey about the whole thing. Later, in Nina's roles, Shona tells Ken and Rita about Audrey opening the salon, which they're thrilled to hear. Stephen appears and there's a bit of confusion when he starts talking about Audrey's medical issues. He's talking about her feet, but Ken and Rita think that he's talking about her trying to kill herself. Mm -hmm. They don't give too much away and Ken insists it's nothing much to worry about anymore anyway. Mm -hmm. Back at the salon... 
Evelyn turns up to see what's what and wonders if a portrait of Alf deserves pride of place in a fancy modern hair salon. Yeah. She'll be back for a trim once they've sorted out their discounts. Right. Stephen arrives and asks Audrey if she's okay, mentioning his conversation with Ken and Rita. Audrey's getting a bit pissed off with people continually asking if she's okay. She insists that she's fine. He's worried that she's spending all her money on her bucket list. And she tells him if there's anything up, then he'll be the first to know. I think really what he's worried about is that she's spending all her money. Right, yeah. And so there'll be nothing left for him right. once he finally signs his paperwork. To dig himself out of whatever hole he's in. Right, because he's definitely in a hole. Right. And not a good one. Yeah. Later, Ken and Rita show up and apologise for the potential confusion with Stephen earlier. Audrey insists no harm has been done, but her plan to keep the family in the dark has not changed. But she thanks them both for helping her get through her troubles. Back home, Max is exhausted from all the help that he's given Audrey for not sexually or emotionally endangering anyone. Stephen brings up the subject of the paperwork again, but Audrey tells him to stuff up his hole. It's just not important for her at the minute. Oh, pig's tits. Says Stephen, and that's as far as we get with that this week. So yeah. Oh, we're not going to continue. Well, I feel like it kind of went in a different direction and I gave it a title that I'm quite pleased with, so I decided to break it up. But we're going to talk about that bit next. Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything more that we need to say about the whole Audrey opening up the salon? It was nice to see Max being helpful. For a change. Yeah. He didn't even know he was going to get money in the end. And he did. Yeah. That was nice. 20 quid, was it? I can't remember. It was a a small sum of money. It was pink. Oh, that's a tenner then, I think. I think 20s are purple. Who knows? All of our money is the same colour. Yeah, and the same size. Yeah. Because... You hate blind people. We do. All right, then. Unless they're daredevil. Let's move on then to that other storyline, which I've called www.knickerfactory.omg. Wow. On Friday at the factory, Michael has noticed that their website's shit and he's losing orders because of it. Uh-oh. Carla, who remembers she's a bossy cow now, she orders Sarah to fix it rather than spending her time making a million cups of tea in a day. So Sarah goes home to speak to Stephen about the factory website and asks him to speak to Lorenzo, the Italian webmaster. Stephen isn't sure that they can afford Lorenzo. David pipes up that Max can help, and Max shows what he's been working on all summer. Max has invented Tumblr. So Stephen and Max take up the job. Max has invented YouTube. Stephen making sure that Max doesn't post any links to 8chan. Max and Stephen are shooting video for the new website, which makes Beth cover up her boobs. Carla is shocked when she sees Max in charge of this, thinking the factory's reputation is on the line for this. But Sarah manages to convince Carla because they're only throwing three fifty at the problem. I thought and it was seven fifty. Was it seven fifty? I think it was seven fifty. And uh, and what's she got to lose? Says Stephen. So Max and Stephen are almost ready to put the finishing touches to the website after spending forty-five minutes working on it. Max is worried about taking photos of the knickers and seems even reluctant to say the word. Sarah has had concerns about this whole statement of work and has a private word with Stephen about Lorenzo. Turns out that she's given him a call after all and apparently Stephen still owes him for six months' pay. What? Stephen thinks quickly on the spot. He hasn't been paid because he's been embezzling money. Typical fucking Italian. Have a laissez-faire attitude to fraud, says Stephen, who's suddenly a little bit racist, who is now concerned that Sarah went behind his back. She apologises while in the background, Max is about to disappear to the gents with a box of knickers. (laughs) Meanwhile, 
outside. Carla is shouting at her driver about a failed delivery of silk or something, yes. which means that they're going to miss their next deadline. Stephen offers to make some calls, but Carla tells him to stick his offer up his arse. Right, right up, up his, his arse. arse. Stephen goes to see Carla and offers to help again. He knows some UK suppliers that can help out. Carla still isn't interested in this guy who doesn't work at the factory and who basically lives at the factory. He tells her the new website is ready, all done within one business day. Right, and they still haven't taken any like actual photos of the product. Well, this is what got me. Max shows off his website, which turns out to be a video of knickers and Beth covering her boobs. It's not really a website. He's made a video. Right, and he's posted this video there, but there are no updated pictures of the product. No price list, no catalogue. No. No contact us. No. None so, of the stuff that actually makes a website besides a video of people working in the factory. Yep. Sarah's just happy that she features in it and he's, oh, you've done a really good job here. Mm. Stephen thinks that he's done a great job as well. Sarah has another private word to Stephen to apologise for earlier. And Stephen makes an observation that Sarah is the brains of this operation, the one who gets shit done. Mm. Carla just shouts down the phone arguing with the speaking clock and Sarah looks quite pleased and uh, vindicated by this. Mm. Not true though. Of course not. No, no. He's just trying to butter her up. See, this is the thing that I think we're getting at with the whole Carla suddenly a bossy cow thing now. That Even though she's not being a bossy cow at all. She's not been. But Stephen's just trying to undermine her and set and maybe set Sarah up to I don't know, push Carla out somehow. Although how Sarah could afford that, and Stephen obviously can't afford it because I guess he's broke and using his wife's credit card. Or, yeah, his mystery wife. Or convince Sarah to leave the factory and go into business with him. Mm. They need to start taking some photos of the actual product. That's <laughs> what I'm going to say. Mm. Like, and on models as well. The Carla's very, so Sarah, lame. you fix it. Carla's right. like, this delivery driver, you've fucked up the order or something. Right. Carla's like, I don't want your help. Who are you anyway? Right, which is true. You know, time and time again, all we're, we're, it, we're getting All of these... it's justified. All of it's justified. She recognizes <clears throat> that she doesn't know anything about building a website, so she delegates to Sarah to find somebody who knows how to put together a website. She's not supposed to do it on her own. That's what being the boss is, is delegation. Mm. And she's right in saying Sarah is right that seven fifty is not enough to pay a website developer. But Carla is also right that this bit of nepotism where Sarah just gives the job to her fifteen year old nephew <laughs> is also dodgy AF. Well and, and her fifteen year old nephew who has a little bit of a dodgy track record when it comes to making videos. Right, yes. Copyright <sighs> Mr. Osborne is a fanny enterprises limited. I don't know, I think when we get to see Carla bossing people around, when we don't normally You're get... like so obsessed with Carla bossing well, people we around. Well, don't we don't normally get to see this. So we do, though. She's always don't. been like we this. We don't. Week to She's week. She's always been the boss. Week to week, we don't get to see this. They're drawing attention to this, and I think they're drawing attention to this because there's going to be some kind of revolution or something at the knicker factory, and then she's getting pushed out. That, that's that's what, what I believe. How is she getting pushed out when she doesn't own any shares in the factory? She does own it. How does she own it again? Because remember, she sold all her shares and gave them to the knicker people. No, I think she bought them back and again. Then, and then Sarah hired her back. Or Nick hired her back. Nick's no, I think she's got a stake in it. 
She's definitely got a stake in it. I don't think she does. She does, because that's how she gets to talk to Sarah like that. I think she gets to talk to Sarah like that because Sarah's a mess. <laughs> and because she's Carla, this is just the way Carla talks. She's always been the boss lady. She's always been Mrs. Connor, even though she's not Mrs. Connor anymore. She's Mrs. Barlow now. But they're both Mrs. Barlow's, which is hilarious. But this is just, this has always been her personality. So I don't understand why drawing attention to it means anything when that's just her personality and it always has been well we will see we'll see we'll see when it works out and you will eat humble pie and you will beg for my forgiveness i will not i will deny it i have never eaten humble pie in my life an american and a leo yeah oh i actually managed to not say what was on my mind there Well done, you. Good for me. Good for you. Our penultimate storyline this morning, this evening, is Fiddler on Steve's Roof. Just a few scenes on Friday. Steve is in the Rovers to pick up a bottle of wine that presumably he can't get from the co-op or devs cheaper. But Jenny is in a mood with Steve as single Leo stubbed his toe in the scaffolding that's still outside number one. Oh, the poor fucking baby. He couldn't see the scaffolding? The yellow scaffolding? That's been there forever? He didn't see the yellow scaffolding. He didn't see that. Steve's still waiting for Ed to fix the roof. Jenny thinks Leo is using his sore toe to cover for missing out on Canada. Yeah, no flies on you, Jenny. Ed is back in the billows yard and gives Paul a rise for looking after the place so well. Then Steve is on his back to take care of the roof and Ed promises to see what he can but do not like that. on the promise that there's no more funny business. Steve stops juggling kittens and agrees. So Ed is about to make a start on Steve's roof, but meanwhile at the cab office, Steve's first builder turns up whose name... I don't think I've ever known. No. Claiming that he had a mini stroke, so that's why he didn't fix the roof, but doesn't really explain why he didn't get I'm, in contact with And I'm also Steve really confused because the guy who was supposed to fix Steve's roof initially was a friend of Jacob's, and that man does not look like a friend of Jacob. Oh, no, this was another guy. Because a friend of Jacob's fixed the roof badly. This is guy number two. I'm so confused about how many people that's have been a, up on Steve's roof. That's as complicated as it gets. But not like that. So, anyway, I'm he's making, had a mini stroke. I'm making being up on the roof a sexual euphemism. Yeah, I don't think it's working. Claiming that he had a mini stroke, I don't think is really explanation for not telling Steve what's going right, on. Right, yeah, not calling for, him. For a month. Right, yeah, you'd <clears> call or you'd have your wife call. You'd have somebody call. Steve wants his money back, but the guy has already spent it on his mortgage. So Steve decides to cancel Ed instead. I'm not sure what Steve's doing here. No, and also... This guy doesn't have any other clients. He was relying just on Steve's money for his mortgage. Well, it has been a while. There's probably a couple of payments there. Hi, yeah, yeah. What did he take? He took three grand for it or something, didn't he? Three or four grand? I don't it's a few remember thousand, I think. this man. I don't remember the man either, but I remember Steve paying him up front. So the money has gone. I thought Steve had kind of written this off. And he's already employed Ed to do it. So Ed, who has said, no more funny business, Steve is going to cancel that again. So Ed is going to be absolutely fucking furious about this, and rightly so. He's just getting messed about, and he's he's, he's pushing, dropping other jobs to take right. care of this shite. Yeah, he's pushing back Ronnie <clears throat> to take care of Steve. Who knows, maybe he'll be relieved that he doesn't have to take care of Steve, but you know what? He's going to end up having to take care of Steve because this guy's going to flake again. Something's going to happen again. Well, that's the thing with mini strokes, isn't it? I don't think, I don't think it stops at one, does it? No, and sometimes the hospital doesn't tell you you've had them. 
Especially if you if you are of a certain age. I was reading this whole Twitter thread today about people going to the hospital for something else and getting an x-ray and the radiologist saying, oh, well, it looks like you had another mini stroke. And, they, and the people saying, what do you mean another? But the first doctor never told them that they'd had one. But I'd noticed it. Yeah. Didn't tell them in case it stressed them out so much you had another one. Maybe. Something like that. I don't know. It's wrong. It is wrong. I don't think Ed's going to be happy about this. No. I don't really understand Steve's motivation here. I don't understand why this is a story. <sighs> that scaffolding's been up for so long. It's, right. like it's turning it's into a sinkhole. It's becoming the sinkhole. Sinkhole, yeah. It's turning into a sinkhole. I wonder if sinkhole Leo didn't see the scaffolding because He's he so spends so much sinkholes. time in the dark and sinkholes is like a mole. And so a very di- tall mole doesn't differentiate with colour. Moving on then to our final storyline, British summertime. Summer, summer, summertime. On Wednesday, Aaron has his hoodie on as he turns up for work. Tyrone spots that it looks like he's been in a fight and he gently ribs him to find out what happened. Aaron throws a fit, tells Tyrone to shut his pie hole or he'll shut it for him. And of course, Summer appears around the corner and sees all this and sees Aaron stomp off. Yikes. Later, Summer's outside the factory on her phone because she's an indispensable PA and stuff. Aaron comes back and calls Summer a drama queen for fussing. Suddenly he thinks that going on holiday with her sounds like an absolute fucking nightmare and he stomps off again. Could have told you that. Later, he goes round to see her at the flat to apologise for being a twat again. She demands to know what's going on and he admits that it's his dad that beats him up and I do not give a solitary shit about this. Aaron explains that his dad's uh, had a lot to deal with since his mother left or has died or something. No, it seems like she left and she left the kid with the abusive alcoholic man. Hmm. Woman. It doesn't happen that often and he's an alky and he asks Summer to keep this between the two of them. Summer wants Aaron to chop his alcoholic father to the police but he refuses to throw him under the bus and again asks her to keep it between them. Plus they're going away on holiday tomorrow so the pair of them can be weird and reactionary with each other but this time on Espanol. Yes. He doesn't want to throw him under the bus just in case it throws him off the wagon. On Friday, (laughs) Summer is looking for paper for the printer. It's an exciting start to Friday. Todd arrives, so now all the dads are there, and he isn't sure that Summer should be going away with Aaron as he might be a young Pat feeling. Uh Uh-oh. Paul thinks that she should fill her boots. But he's not specific. What does Todd know about Pat feeling? Oh well, he was his stepdad. Never mind. Yeah, love him. That's all. That's all. Summer needs her holiday forms, whatever they are. Oh, and it's A level results day, and Billy has pre-filled the username on the Weather High website, and they all gather round with bated breath to see the results. So people are just coming and going through Billy's flat now. They're not even knocking. No. I think Paul has a key later on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Paul has a key. I don't know if Todd has a key. <sighs> we don't find out at this point what uh, Summer's results are. No, but we can. But we know that she's failed at least one class. PC Tinker is at number one doing a shit for some reason. <laughs> he was walking his beat and all of a sudden had to pee and she- thought it was better to go into someone's residence to pee than Roy's Rolls right across the street. Or his house. 
Right. Just right the across corner. the street. He actually said that he was bursting. <laughs> That's excellent. I think what had happened was, as we later find out, he's looking for Steve. Right. But the so fact maybe he that knocked he, on the door and said, I'm looking for Steve. Steve's not here. Oh, that's too bad. Can I use your bathroom? Yeah, I really need to take a shit. And Amy said, sure. Right. Now, I don't think I'd be so kind. No. no I'm, I'm, that is your lookout. I'm sorry. Yeah. The only people that are allowed to shit in these toilets are the people who live in this house. Well, unless they have a party. And you know, I will return the favour and I promise I will not shit in your house. And you will thank me for that. It reminds me, it reminds me of that woman who knocked on our door during lockdown and asked if she could take some of our ferns. That was quite... I was quite accommodating to that. You were, but, but it she, was very, very weird. But if she'd asked to take a shit <laughs> in my bathroom, I would have told her to fuck off. Well, no, yeah, especially since it was during lockdown and none of us had been vaccinated because there weren't no vaccines yet. The one that I remember from that time was a guy that was walking through our yard. And I said to him, Can I help Can you? Can I help you? And he said, No. And I said, Well, fuck off out my yard then. What's wrong with people? Just cutting across the corner, just walk through my yard. I don't know. <sighs> anyway, I'm, get, I'm getting sick. As it is, too. people think that we're hermits or that our house is abandoned because they never see us the outside. The lights are on. The lights are always on. But they never see us. We're ghosts. Because anyway. we use the back door. Anyway, so PC anyway. Tinker's done his business at number one. And he leaves without remark, which allows Summer and Amy to chat about the results. Amy got an A and two Bs and she's thrilled. Summer got two A stars and fuck all for English. Right, yeah, and an X for English. Amy advises her to take a year out and then aim for Oxford next year and maybe don't get caught cheating in the exams next time. Summer is packing as Aaron arrives. He's in a cheery mood today and appears to have all his belongings in the world in the backpack. Summer is being a cow because she can't find her passport. They're running late and because of that, Summer faints again. She finally comes round thanks to Aaron. She claims that she forgot to take her insulin, what with the stress of losing her passport and, Al- and Aaron being beaten up by his alky dad yesterday. She insists that they still are going to go on holiday and they're going to make that flight and she can test her blood at the airport, even though she still has no idea where her passport is. So, it turns out that Summer and Aaron have missed their flight. Aaron blames it on traffic when he's explaining this to Todd and no one's boots are going to get filled at this rate. Aaron's taking this remarkably well, considering that he paid for this holiday, he right. cancelled this holiday, and then he set up this holiday again. Right. And now he's lost his money on it. Who knows? Back home, Summer tries to make up for ruining the vacation for the third or fourth time by asking Aaron to spend the night. And Aaron, take a bath with her. And Aaron is worried what his dad's going to say, even though he's supposed to be in Spain with Summer right. at this point. Yeah, that's... That, that got me too. It's like, wait a second, you're not even supposed to be in town, so of course you can stay. So Summer goes to run them a bath, because apparently that's the sort of thing that Summer does now. Aaron goes into Summer's bag to retrieve her charger, and it looks like he must put his hand into a meat paste sandwich or something, because he looks like he's about to vomit. Summer comes back into the room, and Aaron is now bad mood Aaron. He found glucose meters in her bag and knows that she's cheating her blood test because he used to do the same thing. She could have died. He's not sure that he can do this anymore and he's not sure that he wants to. Haven't they had this conversation already? 
once or twice. Hmm. She promises to stop, saying that she wanted to look nice for her holiday and not stuffed full of the insulin. He asks how she feels about her body image these days and she says that she has no idea. He says that when he went through this, no one gave a shit until he found a nurse he could speak to. He knows that people see the condition before they see the person. And he's tried to tell her to speak to people about this a hundred times. But she has actually a family who seem to care about her, which is more than he ever did. She's got three dads and none of them beat her up. He gets it, but she needs to stop. And she promises again and asks him not to tell anyone, pretty much like what he asked her to do yesterday. Right. Aaron says that he can't be the only one to know and she's blessed with a lovely family and so he refuses to lie for her. Well, I'm not covering for you then, she says. If they support each other in a nice codependent way, then they'll be fine, she says. Aaron goes away to think about it, taking her wee gadget thing that made him angry with him that he's going to get rid of. Billy gets home and is so surprised to see Summer that he clutches his pearls. She right, tells he, him, sh- he scares her the way that I scare you sometimes when I'm on top of the stairs and you open the door and you don't know that I'm there. Yes. She tells him the truth about why they missed their flight, although she sweetens it by saying that she didn't take enough insulin rather than she didn't take it at all. Your health comes first, he says, probably because he wasn't the one paying for the fucking holiday. Paul comes in without knocking. He spoke to Aaron outside and knows about missing the flight. Billy wants to get one of those flashing permanent glucose monitors. Summer says that she doesn't want one, even when Billy offers to be the one to check on his phone. She snaps and tells him to go fuck his flashing permanent glucose monitor if he fancies it so much. She apologises for snapping. Billy makes her feel worse by saying that he's just trying to help. If I need your help, I'll ask for it, she says. Mm. And Paul plays nice guy and suggests that they all go out for dinner. So Billy and Yasmin are on the street talking about Summer. Aaron passes by and Billy grabs him and then offers his apologies for missing the flight. Aaron plays along and agrees to come to the dinner at the bistro later. Billy, expert reader of people, doesn't seem to spot that Aaron is having a bit of a mental episode at the minute. At the bistro, Billy and Aaron join Summer and Todd and then Paul arrives. Summer thanks Aaron privately for keeping Stum and promises to return the favour. Aaron doesn't think that he's the best person to help her, but she talks him round. You keep my secret. And I'll keep yours, she says. We've got each other, and that's enough for love. We'll give it a shot. Oh, he says. We're halfway there. Oh, Squidward on a chair. (laughs) And that is how we end this week's episode. Ah, I'm so sick and tired of the storyline just constantly repeating itself over and over and over again. Just... Okay, so now we have the added thing that Aaron is getting physically abused by his dad because, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that he had body dysmorphia thanks to his diabetes wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Why do they keep keep torturing young people on this show? Don't they want them to stick around? Yeah, they're doing the same with uh, Summer at a slower rate than I think they've been doing it to, to Kelly. And I just want to be clear on this. I think Harriet is doing a great job in Summer's shoes, selling the, the faint. I thought she did a, a, a splendid job this week. Her character is just not working for me. No, no. And that's not her fault. No, it's not her fault. It's the writer's fault because they keep making her do the same things over and over and over again. There's no growth. How many times There's do we no see change. her scushing the insulin away? And how many times Or fainting she- and saying, oh, well, I had a problem with the way my body looked, so I stopped taking the insulin that keeps me alive. And when she fell over, she didn't even get to the hospital, so I didn't get a no. chance to use this. 
No, we had no hospital visits this week. That tune is going to be the jinx that stops characters going to the hospital. I don't think I fear, that. because someone really should have went to the hospital. But then they really would have been too late. Of course, they were too late already. Because because but, they're not going to Barcelona, because she's not going to Oxford. Of course no. she's not going to go to Barcelona. No. I <sighs> just I just want the storyline to just go away, because it's just... They're doing a disservice to young people with diabetes. It doesn't feel like it's getting anywhere near its conclusion either. No. And it's basically just going around in circles. It's exhausting. And, you know, this is, this is the thing. You know, the stuff with Audrey works because it's realistic. Mm-hmm. This does not feel realistic. I believe that young people and also people, older people, have, issue, have body issues related to their diabetes. I do believe that is a thing. But the way they are writing it, the way they're handling it, with no growth, with no change, and basically the same thing over and over again, it just does not work they're, at all. They're throwing so much at somewhere between her bulimia. I think it's bulimia more than anorexia, right? I think it's the, the purging is, is bulimia. Well, it's all related to her body dysmorphia, which is related to her diabetes. Right. They had that. They had the, the exams, the studying, the cheating... We've got the boyfriend that also has similar issues and has the and alcoholic dad. And now also has an alcoholic abusive dad. Beaten up. If they'd gone to Barcelona, I'm sure the pilot of the plane would have had a gambling addiction. And when they got to the Picasso Museum, it would have been shut. It's just, let's throw as much stuff as we possibly can. Yeah, it's bad. At somewhere at Concurrently. It's bad. Uh, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. There's nothing, there's not a single thing about the storyline. That, there's nothing that's, to be said. That's Because there's nothing new. That hasn't been said already. Right. Except there was the threat of Barcelona. Right, yeah. And Aaron, for some reason, thought he could beat up Tyrone. <laughs> right. And I'm not too sure about this. The, what are the rules of this the dad thing? Because I'm, I'm confused about whether... What age is Aaron in... Is, does he have the independent money to have these, to spend money on these vacations? And and does the dad, does it, the dad seems to need him because the dad, I think, was the one that was calling him the other week. So the dad seems to make demands on him right, in, in the yeah. middle of the day. Right, because he's, he has and then beats him up. abandonment issues because his wife left him because he was an abusive shit. And so now he's being an abusive shit to his kid. So the Who dad, knows? the dad doesn't want him, or will lose his mind if Aaron spends the night at Summers. But would it be okay if the two of them had gone to Barcelona? Who knows? And and Aaron's Aaron's attitude through this with his kind of mood swings, where he's he's really quite nasty to her when he's uh, after he's he's got the beaten thing. He's rather than saying he doesn't want to speak about it. He kind of attacks her a little bit for for re- weird reasons. And Which then, is realistic. And then has to apologise for it immediately. And she seems to be accepting. Which, again, is realistic. Because that. she hasn't been in an awful lot of relationships. So she doesn't... She's in over her head. She doesn't know how to relate to this. And so she's more accepting than 
an older person would be. Mm. So, holy shit, how much of this are you going to put on with? Right. And also, he's, you know, he's of an age. And I think he's like, what, 18, 19, maybe 20. So, he's younger. Well, he's older than her. Right. But not by much. But, you know, he's been in this, for whatever reason, and sometimes this does happen, the mom left without him. So he's got abandonment issues. And he also, with a dad like that, you can imagine that he probably has issues as far as masculinity is concerned. And, you know, and he shouldn't feel sorry for himself and he shouldn't have a girl mothering him about this whole thing. So, of course, he's going to be snippy. It's believable. It's awful to watch, but it's Mm. believable. But it's just... It's just a never-ending cycle, and nothing ever gets better, and it's not interesting, and it's not fun, and just send them to tea at the Rape Hotel. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't see where it's going. I, I don't see where the where the end point of this is. No, because it, it just goes in circles, mm. and there's no end point in a circle. Oh, well. Oh, well. That was the week that was Coronation Street. That what is correct. was your moment of the week? Audrey's like, tea. Like I need to ask. Any particular part of it that, that took your fancy more than more than the others? Well, the part where she said, where she finally admits that she tried to kill herself. Mm-hmm. And it's her a, friends rallying around her. It's a shame that we can't give our secondary moment of the week to Rita sticking her head through plant. the potted plant. And also the uh, the single ladies, but mm. was quite... It was quite amusing. You were quite taken with it. It's not. Uh, oh, you weren't? I was, just not as much as you, because I didn't try to meme it. Well, you don't try to meme anything. No, that's true. So it's not really a measure then. Anyway. Anyway, so uh, Audrey's admission to her friends of her right. attempts on her own life three weeks ago is our this week's moment of the week. Moment of the week? Your boring moment of the week. Hmm. Craig using Amy's bathroom. No, that was just weird. Just weird. <laughs> Do you have to let the police use your bathroom? No. You don't have to let the police into your house. I've got a warrant to take a shit. Right, yeah. In, in unless your, unless he has a sink. warrant, he shouldn't be coming in your house. And he didn't have a warrant. He was just trying to give him some flyers about things that you shouldn't do while you're driving. That's the boring of the moment of the week. Craig handing flyers and explaining driving to Steve. Yeah, because that got quite a lot of screen time on on Friday. Right. I gave it nothing. The whole whole ridiculous following Steve around town, Steve being worried that he's broken a law somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then it's just paperwork. It's just flyers saying, don't use your phone while you're driving. No, it was pointed out on the Twitter I think from Sophie, who noticed that when Steve's builder came in, uh-huh. Steve said, pointed to him and said, arrest this guy. I paid this guy and he didn't do the work that I paid him to do. Right. And Craig just doffs his cap. And leaves. Says, I'll see you guys later. Yeah. He's got a habit of doing that kind yes, of thing. Yes, he does. So the fact that PC Tinker's going to arrest you for something that's quite quite frankly ridiculous yeah he's far more concerned that you've written your initials on your stuff with invisible ink right anyway that is our boring moment of the week a boring moment of the week all right that's 
let's wrap this one up then and spank it on the bottom we if you want to get in contact with us to complain about being spiked on the bottom we are the talk of the street at gmail.com or to request request more spikes on the bottom and we are at the the spikes on the bottom will continue until morale improves <laughs> And we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.